Today on Blue 58, the Packers have the week off, and once again, they are getting healthier. So what's the plan for Zadarius Smith? I think week one gives us a good glimpse. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. There is a lot that I want to cover in this episode, so we are going to be moving quickly through a lot of different topics. The first one and honestly, probably the most important one is your ongoing chance to win tickets to the divisional round game at Lambeau Field coming up a week from, well, I guess this weekend. We don't know for sure when it's going to be. It'll depend on who the Packers are playing. But you have a chance to win a pair of tickets because a very, very generous Blue 58 listener has donated four tickets, two pairs. He'd like to give them away in two pairs uh, to you if you're willing to make a donation to uh, the a All the Way Foundation, Aaron Jones' foundation that he runs with his brother. There's a link in your show notes and at thepowersweep.com uh, explaining how you can do that. But basically, make a donation of any dollar amount. We are suggesting at least $10. And uh, you will be entered um, to win one of these two pairs of tickets. So, with that in mind, just wanted to make an announcement as to how many donations we've gotten so far. As of 8.44 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday evening, we have received 45 donations totaling $1,466.85. A huge, huge round of applause to you for getting that done. I appreciate everybody who's donated. I wish I could send all of you to the playoffs. It's going to be just two pairs of you. But, uh, man, I'm very appreciative of, um, of everybody who has donated. I would like to see us get over 2,000. If we could get a few more donations in there, obviously that's up to you. But if we could do that, that'd be great. Deadline is Friday night at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you get your donation in by then, you will have a chance to receive one of these two pairs of tickets. Sound good? I think so. Cool. Let's talk about two more things from Sunday before we move on into this week and beyond. I wanted to talk for a second about Devontae Adams breaking the single-season receiving yardage record. We really didn't talk about this super in-depth after the game. It's an incredible achievement, and he is having, or has had to this point, an incredible season, and that he did it in uh, just 16 games instead of getting the, the extra 17th makes it, I think, all the more impressive because we are kind of entering a new era of stats. I try not to get too hung up on the 17-game the thing. It as far as statistical differences, it's going to be weird for a couple of years, uh, but that just makes the old records that stand all the more impressive, and things are going to change sooner or later as the game changes anyway. You might as well just get used to the idea of there being a 17th game. But Adams, as impressive as his season has been, I can't help but think back to Jordy Nelson, because that's the season, or that's the person whose record he broke. And Nelson's 2014 season was phenomenal. 98 catches, 1,519 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Just absolutely incredible. And as I see Devontae Adams continuing to pile up yards, aging into just an incredible receiver, and I think his game is going to age phenomenally well. It's all about spacing and agility, quick release stuff. I think he's going to do a good job of of aging into his 30s, and that's a reason that I would support um, the Packers offering him a third contract. But as we watch Adams go through that process, I'm reminded to my frustration that we didn't get to see Jordy Nelson do the same thing. And that's a real shame because I think that's one of the the most interesting parts of an aging great player's career is how do they handle that decline if it comes for them naturally. And unfortunately for Nelson, we didn't get to see it happen 
naturally because he has the phenomenal season in 2014 and then preseason 2015. What happens? Torn ACL. And although the stats the next year look pretty similar to 2014, it's pretty clear that he was not the same player. So 2014, 98 catches, 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns. 2016, his first year back, 97 catches, 1,200 yards, 1,257, and 14 touchdowns. Again, it looks pretty much the same. But the yards per catch is down by 2.5 yards, and the yards per target are down by nearly two full yards. And the next year drops again. It's pretty clear that Jordy Nelson's legs were gone, and he never really made it back to 100%. In fact, I'm not really even sure he made it back to 75-85% of the player that he was um, in in 2014. Speed was such a big part of his game. Stretching the field vertically was such a big part of his game. We never got to see him kind of age naturally into the more crafty veteran type of receiver. It was kind of forced on him. And I don't really have a point other than saying it's a, a real shame that we didn't get to see that. But it is a real shame, and it's something that I think we're, we're always going to wonder about. What could things have looked like for the Packers in 2015, 2016, 2017 if Jordy Nelson is there and uh, and at 100%? Because if you remember, as he is declining in 2016, Devontae Adams is really taking off. That's when he really first started to hit his stride for the Packers was in 2016, having to take over as that number one receiver. But Randall Cobb was also there. That trio of receivers could have been something really special. Uh, you have Devontae Adams, you know, working underneath, uh, Jordy Nelson going deep, and Randall Cobb working the slot. But unfortunately, we never really got to see them all kind of operating at peak capacity. 2015 could have been a real incredible year uh, if they all got to play a little bit more natural roles. But unfortunately, it just didn't work out that way at all. The other thing I wanted to mention, just in passing, and I can't believe I forgot to say this after the game on Sunday. Lions and throwbacks on Sunday. They, I mean, I am as much a throwback apologist as anybody. I will watch just about anything. The biggest sin of the Lions throwbacks is that they are just incredibly boring. Blue jersey, silver number, silver helmets, plain silver pants. Just not a lot to them. But I wish the Packers had taken this as an opportunity to wear their throwbacks. And I wish, and I I talked about this a little bit on Twitter today, I wish that the, the Packers had a road version of their throwbacks as well. There's a pretty cool uh, rendition of that out there. Uh, a designer whose name slips my mind right now uh, put together kind of a, a, a mock-up of the, the 1953 Packers road design. It's basically those green pants that they wore for the, the Washington game with a, a white jersey and just take all the yellow off the current Packers jersey. Uh, it would be a marked change, sure, from what we're used to, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting look just as a one-off, and it would have been fun to see it out there for the Lions game. Moving into this week, the Packers have some roster move and some coaching staff move, potentially some coaches moving out of Green Bay. Gasp. Uh, But first, uh, coming off the COVID list, Billy Turner. No word yet on where he's at knee-wise, but he is at least off the COVID-19 reserve list, and that means he is at least an option in uh, in the near future heading into the divisional round. Now, Matt LaFleur said this week that he thinks Lucas Patrick is going to end up being one of their five best linemen. I think that points to Billy Turner staying at right tackle instead of bumping inside to right guard. They know the offensive line better than I do, obviously. 
but I wonder if that is a bit of a missed opportunity, putting Turner at guard and Kelly at right tackle. And I say that fully, fully acknowledging that I said prior to the season, one of the things that I wanted for Turner and have wanted for him was just the ability to stay at right tackle and, and you know, just kind of settle in there for the second year in a row. This, of course, is an opportunity to do that um, and, and just continue to roll with the guys who was really good up until the time he was injured. If that's what they go with, I think that's that's perfectly fine. Patrick and Turner on the right side together was pretty good for a lot of, of um, 2020, you know, other than when uh, Pat, or Turner was over on the right side. But, um, hey, they've got options. That's, I guess, the really, really important thing. Getting released this week were, were Ben Braden uh, and Chris Blair, first and, and foremost right off the bat this week, uh, Braden and Blair um, heading out of town. Uh, Braden, I bet he's going to be back. The Packers seem to really like him, and I bet he ends up back on the practice squad here at some point in the relatively near future. They're just kind of flush with options on the practice squad right now. And somehow Jake Hansen just continues to survive down there on the practice squad. The third, I guess even technically fourth string center, if you include Elton Jenkins in the center depth chart there too, uh, just kind of hanging around down there. And I don't think any of us really want to see a situation where he is on on the field in any meaningful capacity. Uh, Blair, also a little bit of a surprise given that he's been with the Packers for as long as he has. Uh, he's been an option at wide receiver for quite some time, and they've just never really done anything with him. But he's he's been around long enough that you have to think they think pretty highly of him. So seeing him released now is a bit of a surprise. If if not earlier, why now? Like what, what was the deciding factor now? Maybe the Packers looking for a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, Adrian Ely, the tackle, uh, signed last week, also gets cut from the practice squad uh, today. I think that obviously has something to do with the fact that Billy Turner is back. They just don't need him for practice. Final roster note, James Smith, a punter, was in for a tryout with the Packers today. Talked to a couple people about this. The going theory is that this may be a futures-type deal, as in they sign him to a futures contract after the season is done because they're probably not looking to make a move in the uh, the field goal battery at the very least. Uh, on the eve of the playoffs. Smith, though, in interesting history, an Australian punter, Aussie rules punter, uh, punted for four years at Cincinnati and was a four-time all-conference player there. So pretty decorated uh, in Cincinnati's conference as well. A pretty big guy, six foot five, 235 pounds, absolutely killer mustache in his, uh, his, um, his picture for the Cincinnati roster page. Just terrific stuff. Uh, coming to the United States, uh, from Wangaratta, Australia, played for the Wangaratta Rovers, uh, making his debut back there in 2013 for Aussie Rules Football, which is just a trip if you ever get a chance to watch that. Go, to, go ahead and look that up on YouTube sometime and uh, just prepare to be confused and a little amazed and just kind of in awe of people putting their bodies through that. I mean, American football is pr- plenty physical, but that's a, a physical game too. Elsewhere within the Packers organization, we know that Packers coaches are going to be getting some interviews here, but the list of places that guys are going to be interviewing is getting longer. We already knew the Jaguars wanted to talk to Nathaniel Hackett, but since we last spoke, we've gotten word that the Bears want to interview Nathaniel Hackett as well, and the Broncos want to talk to both Nathaniel Hackett and Luke Getze. The Bears are a little bit like the Jaguars here. I would, if I was a friend of Hackett's kind of maybe steer him away from that a little bit, just saying, hey, organization-wise, I'm not sure this is where you want to end up. But the Broncos are intriguing 
if only because they're going to be going through some turnover of their own, but I think potentially some positive turnover. Uh, the One of the last legal hurdles, and really doesn't bear discussing exactly what it was, but one of the last legal hurdles in a protracted battle over who is going to own that team going forward was cleared today, so they could be sold as soon as this summer, which might result in some internal turmoil. Could, could not, but long term, that means that you have an opportunity to get in on the ground floor with a with a new ownership group, make a great first impression, maybe potentially have a longer run there. You are, you are walking into a potentially fraud opportunity too if, if hiring gets done before there's a new owner in place. Say the, the new owner wants to bring in a new GM, the new GM wants to bring in their own guy, you might just end up out of luck. But the Broncos thing I think is intriguing or at least interesting and something Packers fans should be watching because The Broncos don't just want to talk to Nathaniel Hackett. They want to talk to Packers quarterback coach Luke Getze as well. I read this as the Broncos doing some pre-work on a potential Nathaniel Hackett staff. Hackett obviously is going to need additional coaches with him, and it's easy to envision a situation where it's Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach, and Luke Getze, a quarterback coach who's worked his way up in Green Bay and other places, ends up as, say, the offensive coordinator. I think uh, it's easy to see why why someone could end up thinking that. In Green Bay, that probably means that, well, if if these moves happen, if Hackett gets the head coaching job in Denver and uh, Getzey gets the offensive coordinator job, I think that would pretty much seal Adam Stenovich moving to offensive coordinator. And I wonder what happens with a guy like Luke Butkus after that, because then there would be two opportunities available. Uh, Luke Butkus, the assistant offensive line coach, would probably have his pick between being offensive line coach in Green Bay or moving to Denver and doing the same job there. We could be overrating this a little bit. It's not a sure thing that guys take people from their previous stops, but why wouldn't you be interested in somebody like Butkus who has had a hand in helping the Packers maintain some impressive offensive line performance continuity amid a lot of offensive line turnover? That's something I think the Packers, that Packers fan should be keeping a close eye on. If you're Matt LaFleur and these guys all get opportunities and they want to go, say it's it's Hackett, Getze, and Butkus that all want to go to Denver together. I say if you're LaFleur, just let them. Sure. Yeah, if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to force you to stay here. And, you know, in some of those situations, you can't because for Getze, it's a promotion. For Hackett, it's a promotion. For, and for Butkus, it would be a promotion too. But wouldn't even try to, to fight them on it. Wouldn't try to force them to stay around if they want to go, go. And then we get to really see what kind of a coach that Matt LaFleur is. Because you can make a great coaching staff once, but can you do it again is an entirely different question. Stanovich staying around would be a, a big get, uh, but those are other important positions too. And you wonder uh, what LaFleur would do to fill those. Interesting times in Green Bay. And we haven't even touched on the potential angle of Aaron Rodgers following Hackett. Uh, to Denver and potentially even maybe probably bringing Devontae Adams with him. But uh, let's not go there if we don't have to. All right, Zedarius Smith, off of injured reserve, practicing on Wednesday, supposedly, maybe. Matt LaFleur spoke with the media today and gave some insight, actually I would say a surprising amount of insight, on his plans for Zedarius Smith. Yeah, we'll see how he comes in on Wednesday, and if we can get him back out on the practice field, then we'll let him go. But I think, you know... I want to kind of temper the expectations. Here's a guy that hasn't practiced since week, really, before the uh, New Orleans game. So we'll get him back out there and see how he looks, see what type of shape he's in, and, you know, if he progresses and, you know, checks all the boxes, then he'll be back out, out on the field. 
temper expectations, sure, but I think it's safe to say the Packers wouldn't be bringing him off injured reserve if they didn't think there was a realistic chance he could play pretty soon in the playoffs. You're not going to bring him off of injured reserve, take up a roster spot, and hope that he's able to play in the Super Bowl. It just seems counterintuitive to me, especially given how much time there is between now and the Super Bowl. You would um, have to be able to commit to him before then anyway. My assumption is he's going to play, but in a pretty small role. That's easy to say, so we got to define that down a little bit more. What is a small role? I would think something like 15 to 20 plays. In a vacuum, that doesn't mean like much, so ballparking it, 20 plays would have been just over one in three plays against the Lions on Sunday. And that seems about right if you're looking at Zedarius as a situational pass rusher out there. So what does he do as a situational pass rusher? Because that term in and of itself is pretty vague. I think the Packers are primarily looking for interior pass rush along with Kenny Clark. So picture an offensive line left to right. If you're looking at it as a quarterback would look at it, I think what you're going to end up lining up with is something like this. If the Packers are in nickel, so five defensive backs, you have Rashawn Gary standing up outside the left tackle. You have Dean Lowry over the left guard. Kenny Clark on or near the center, so on the nose. Uh, Zadarius Smith standing up or with his hand down on the outside shoulder of the right guard. That is the classic three technique. And then you have Preston Smith over right tackle. I think that gives you way more pass rush juice than any non-Kenny Clark or Dean Lowry defensive lineman is going to give you currently. And it also gives you some additional flexibility because, as we said, this was just in nickel. If you want to put a sixth defensive back in there, just drop Dean Lowry out and bring on whoever it is that is your, your dime defensive back at that point. We saw this look actually back in week one. The Packers came out with a four-pass rusher front, Preston Smith over left tackle, Kenny Clark over left guard, Zadarius Smith over right guard, and Rashawn Gary over right tackle. On that play, what happened? Zadarius Smith comes steamrolling into the backfield, uh, hits Jameis Winston as he throws it, ball gets tipped in the end zone, and Darnell Savage picks it off and runs it back 25 yards or so. And unfortunately, there was an egregiously bad roughing the passer call. But in principle, that is how things should work. Zedaria should be eating interior offensive linemen alive. And if he can do that, it helps the Packers immeasurably up front, especially given the emergence of Rashawn Gary on the outside. Plus, say you really want to get crazy, stands Zedarius Smith up over center, keep Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark out there, and then see what happens. That's our nickel package again, but now we're really cooking with gas. we got a five, essentially, lineman front between Preston and Rashawn Gary on the outside. Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark... Over the guards, Zedaria Smith up front. That's a, a guy mugging the A-gap in two A-gaps at once, essentially. That I can get behind. That's a lot of fun. All right, now that the regular season is over, I wanted to take a second and talk about some of our advanced stats. So we track several, I, I always call them semi-advanced stats for the power sweep. And a, a few of the ones that I'd like to touch on today uh, involve both both offense and defense. Uh, one of my favorites that we track is explosive plays. The Packers were among the foremost thinkers in this area in, in the NFL in the early 21st century. They define internally, at least they did for a long time, an explosive play as a run of 12 or more yards or a pass of 16 or more yards. So we track those each and every week. And in 2020, uh, 2021, excuse me, the regular season, the Packers recorded 112 explosive plays. 
And it's an interesting number because it's slightly more than 2020, albeit in one more game. But it's actually historically still fairly low for the Packers. The Packers were low in, in 2019, Matt LaFleur's first year at 107. But in every other year, the Packers have had Aaron Rodgers for the full season. They've had more than they had in, in 2021. Mike McCarthy's last year, they had 116, 2018. 2016, they had 118 as well. 2015, 118. And 2014, the last year I have records for, and we're going to be doing more work on this in the offseason, by the way. I have have played data that I need to clean up dating back all the way to 2008. But in 2014, they had 133 explosive plays. I attribute this to the Packers playing a little bit more slowly and also having some personnel issues that may affect their... um, their explosive plays a little bit. So MVS was out for a good portion of this season and was not necessarily super effective when he was out on the field. And Aaron Jones uh, also had some injury issues here. I bet the Packers are probably, if you're if you're going to forecast their explosive plays, should probably be in the more like 112 or 120, 125 range. They didn't strike me this year as being as explosive as they were in, say, 2014, just as an example. But personnel definitely held them back a little bit. However, what is happening in the playoffs? Randall Cobb is getting healthy. MVS is going to have a couple weeks to rest. The offensive line is going to be healthy. If the Packers can run their offense as they did in 2020, oh boy, there are some real explosive possibilities out there. Speaking of explosive plays, our friend Devontae Adams, who I regularly refer refer to as a space alien, might have a claim to a, a higher title than that. Extra or explosive plays, demigod, maybe. 34 of them in 2021. Despite their overall slow rate of play, Devontae Adams, plenty explosive. 34 explosive plays was a career high, and dating back to 2014 is the highest I have recorded in a single season for a single player. Previous best was 33 by Randall Cobb in 2014. It surprised me a little bit that it is Randall Cobb, but he cranked him out at a higher rate than Jordy Nelson did that year, which is surprising because Nelson averaged 15 and a half yards a catch that year, nearly an explosive play per catch. Flipping over to defense, uh, Rasul, Rasul Douglas shaped the Packers' defense in a huge way this year. Ballhawks overall up this year to 140 from 132 last year. You can attribute some of that to just having an additional 17th game, although the Packers only had one, one ball hawk, one play on the ball, a sack by Dean Lowry in their final game of the regular season. But they were able to, let's say, maintain their performance with 2020 pretty much exclusively because of Rasul Douglas. He ended up leading the Packers in ball hawks this year, recording 19, 19 of them in 10 games. That is absolutely bananas. To put that in some context, at that pace, Through 17 games, he would have ended up with 34 on the entire season. Just about 34. Nobody else in my database, dating back to 2009, has ever broken 30 in a season, except for one person. And I'd be willing to bet you could guess who it is. You guessed Charles Woodson in 2009, you would be correct. That is the year he won Defensive Player of the Year with 33 ball hawks. Ball hawk, by the way, is a play on the ball a pass defense to an interception, a fumble forced, or a sack. McMore, generally your defense is doing better. Regardless of of what other metrics um, you have, you know, points allowed, yards allowed, whatever, 
ball hawks, if you're making plays on the ball, chances are your defense is doing well. The unfortunate thing is they're a relatively fickle stat, uh, so it, it's hard to maintain them well, week to week. But uh, chances are, if you're making plays on the ball, you're doing a pretty good job. Finally, the Packers improved in a huge way in their pass rush this year. Literally every single significant pass rusher on the Packers saw an increase in their pressure rate this year. So pressure rate is um, based on you know overall efficiency metrics. How many total pressures are you getting uh, in pass rush snaps? And every single pass rusher this year who played significant snaps had an increase in their uh, pressure percentage this year. Rashawn Gary got pressures on just over 17% of his pass rushes. That is up from just about 13% last year. Preston Smith, up to 13.5%, 13.6% from just over 6 last year. Kenny Clark, up to 12.5% from just under 8% last year. Jonathan Garvin, up to 10.5% from just under 2% last year. Dean Lowry, up to almost 10% from 6% last year. Even Tipa Naliai jumps from 0 to 5.7%. Zadarius Smith has only recorded nine pass rush snaps this year. He went down. I give him a little bit of a break. I assume that his would probably have gone up too if he didn't miss almost literally the entire regular season, a former regular season worth of games. So to what do we attribute this increase in pass rush productivity for the Packers? I think this is one of the biggest scheme changes for the Packers this year. So uh, Mike Pettin's scheme relied a lot on defensive linemen two-gapping. Uh, being able to hold their ground and play to either side of a particular defensive lineman. Joe Barry's scheme, everybody we've talked to, everybody, every bit of research that I've done on this said he was going, I mean, Joe Barry himself said that he was going to be a one gap, you know, shoot the gap, aggressive, penetrating scheme. And wouldn't you know it, just asking guys to get upfield and figure the, the rest out from there has paid off for the Packers in terms of their pass rush improving. You love to see it. And uh, it's working out for the Packers so far this year. Hope they can carry it into the playoffs. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate it even more. I would continue to appreciate it even more if you would take a second and donate to the uh, ANA All the Way Foundation. Details are in your show notes. Get yourself a chance to win uh, a ticket, two tickets, to the Packers Divisional Round Playoff Game. And given how these tickets are going to be stationed, you're going to have an opportunity to hang out with another a Blue 58 listener, or a couple listeners as well. I hope you go. I hope you have a great time. I hope you will consider donating to this great, great cause. In the meantime, share this episode. Uh, if you think you know somebody else would enjoy it, that's going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help more people, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.